SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the likely competitive knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. But in addition to those two people, we have a different person joining us this week as our special guest, science communicator and host of the podcast Triplicates, it's Amanda Wacker. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. I was on a podcast with you once and you told me a story that I want you to tell again <laughs> that involved <laughs> it involved a, a space and guns and bacteria, I think. Um oh. yes, everyone's favorite microbe, Bacillus subtilis. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> it's the good like old, the good old the good soily, old. <laughs> poopy microbe. Yes, yeah. I think you had a an equally interesting camel poop fact about bacillus subtilis, but my bacillus subtilis fact was having to do with how survivable they are to being directly impacted against a solid surface. So these people took single bacillus subtilis spores, shot them at a wall, and they were like, (laughs) they can survive for up to 299 
plus or minus 18 meters per second, which I don't have a reference for that, but that seems really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was going 300 meters per second, I would definitely not want to smack into a wall. I can tell you that. (laughs) Yes. And and they can survive. (laughs) They're fine. (laughs) So, and then the question becomes, um, my, my thought was like, okay, like in what circumstance would we care? Then I was like, okay, well, what if like, Abyssalus subtilis spore is like out there in the universe and then it like goes and gets into a planet and that's how life gets from one place to another. Is that the idea of the research or are they just messing around? They were not just messing around with our federally funded research (laughs) money. (laughs) Um, So a lot of people are interested in Bacillus subtilis. It's actually a microbe that is found within like the clean rooms where NASA, JPL, like the, where they make all of the hardware that they send out into space. So they were trying to see if it would survive Mm. the impact velocity of it hitting like the moon or like anything really. And then other space things, there's a lot of space debris. If you guys are up on game, on the space debris crisis we have. <laughs> it's not great. Not great. <laughs> so they just want to, they want to know in case there's stuff up there, they want to see what kind of situations it can survive. Yeah. And they actually wrote a paper mm-hmm. about this like lunar microbial survival model, taking in all the accounts of like the UV rays and if it could in- survive the impact velocity and like the temperature something would hit the the moon at and all this stuff. And that's like where these numbers really played an important role in creating this lunar microbial survival model. Oh man, it's hard enough to survive just being still on planet Earth, <laughs> let alone- For you maybe, for other guys, yeah. it's no problem. Being a spore sounds pretty easy comparatively. Yeah. Don't have to make a lot of decisions. <laughs> Just follow the gradients and uh, hope you don't get uh, fired mm. out of a gun into a wall at above yes. 300 meters. <laughs> yeah, at 301 meters, you're in trouble. But, but until then. So we have a podcast for you. We do this every week. It is our science trivia podcast where we try to amaze and delight and one-up each other with science facts. And we also try to stay on topic. And we play for glory. But we also play for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of you will be crowned the winner. Now... As always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week it's from me. And I'm going to go ahead and preface this poem by saying, maybe it should be a postscript, I don't know, by saying it was a busy day that had more, it included more activities than I had anticipated. Uh And so, here's my poem. Okay. There once was a molecule placid. No. Who did more than ever my ass did. A huge (laughs) molecule that makes you, you. Deoxyribonucleic acid. That was your whole poem? <laughs> Wonderful. You are in trouble. Is it one molecule, though? Uh, I mean, hmm. deoxyribonucleic acid is a molecule, but our genome is not stored in one molecule. It is a great molecule, and it is the molecule that contains our genetic information along, I guess, with uh, some RNA, maybe. And also, there's epigenetics now, which didn't exist when I was in school, basically. So I don't know anything about it. Sari, what is DNA? Well, after that <laughs> banger of a poem, I don't know yeah. why I even try. <laughs> Can't just gloss over that, Hank. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you got the the heart of DNA right in that it is the hereditary material in mm-hmm. life as we know it, pretty much. Asterisk. So like humans <laughs> and most other organisms that we consider to be alive, 
use DNA to pass down their genetic information from one generation to the next. And the DNA molecules in cells is what allows an organism to make all the RNA and all the proteins that determine cell function and determine their body makeup and like help them do anything, especially stay alive, <laughs> which is an exceptionally hard task. Oftentimes, Amanda, on this podcast, we have a hard time uh, defining things. But in this case, it's a molecule. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. there is a definition. <laughs> and it has a chemical formula <laughs> and a structure. We know exactly what DNA is. Amanda, you do like DNA origami is what you told me. What does that mean? Okay, so DNA origami is super dope. They basically take a viral genome, which is single-stranded DNA. Our DNA is double-stranded, so we just get one, one strand, and it's a circle. And if you could imagine, I have a hair tie. If you can imagine just, like, (laughs) pressing two ends that are not right next to each other kind of close and then just keep folding it, you can, like, create these shapes. So that's Mm. what we do, and we use it as a tool to study enzymes that interact with DNA. So it's not like I don't just like make DNA and then it's just like pretty like we use it to discover more (laughs) about, you know, (laughs) molecules and things like that. So that's what I am working on now and uh, we'll be doing for the next five years, I guess. But (laughs) is it pretty, though? It is. I think it's really cool. And my my like tester project, because it's like a brand new lab. So we have to like set up everything and try everything and make sure everything works in our own hands with our new machines or whatever. My first DNA origami is a 2D heart made out of DNA, which is super cool. It's going to be so cute. Okay, um, I can post pictures when it comes out, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> what do you use to manipulate the pieces of DNA? Little tweezers. No. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> DNA has a sequence and it's like A goes with T and that's mm-hmm. how it goes, right? Like it's all the letters have a match. Yeah. Because it's single stranded, you can put another strand next to it. So we get these tiny strands and we basically make half of it align with one part of the genome and half of it align to a different part of the genome so that this part will connect to one part of the genome and then the other half will connect somewhere over there. And then it has this, because it's like oh. connected to, we call them staples. It'll like bring these two parts of the genome closer together. And then you just do a bunch of those. Like my heart has like 200 something staples. And then the way you get it to connect is just you take it through a heat ramp. So you start the temperature really high, which melts the DNA. So it's like not together. And then you slowly bring the temperature lower. And as you go through the lower stages of the temperature, it comes together because it wants to, because it's a chemical molecule and that's preferential. And then, boom, you got a 2D heart shape that you can look under an atomic force microscope. And, of course, you've just got an atomic force microscope lying around so that you can look at your heart. We made our own. Like, <laughs> that sounds really with dangerous. Just a, with just a shoebox and some rubber bands. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So that is what DNA is. I'm not going to make you tell us the etymology of DNA because it's deoxyribonucleic acid. It's Thank a you. nucleic acid with... Deoxyribose. Two riboses. With deoxyribose. <laughs> uh, and that means that it's time for the quiz portion of our show. And I'm excited to introduce you to our game. It's called Brainstorm. The rules are simple. Are they simple? I don't know yet. Basically, I'm going to ask you three questions. And then we're going to start. A different person will start every time. Every one of these questions has several different answers. And so I'm going to ask the question and then we're going to go 
and a different person is going to start every time. If you cannot get the question correct, then uh, we'll see if your successors can get the one of the answers correct. And then we will see what happens at the end of the process. So let's begin with round number one. Now, scientists have been learning to sequence DNA for a long time. We're getting better at it all the time. But uh, when we started out, we started with some single-celled organisms like Haemophilus influenza, which is uh, a bacteria. That was in 1995. Uh, and we've gotten better uh, and more clever methods allowing us to sequence animals. You're going to have to tell me, in order, one of the six first animals to have their genomes sequenced. We will start with Amanda, and then Sari, and then Sam. And we'll go until someone gets it wrong, is the goal. Amanda, do you have one? What counts as an animal? <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> 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 uh, a multi-celled organism. It doesn't, have, yeah. Um, so a multicellular organism. I want to say they like did yeast first because yeasts are like very central to things, mm. but I don't know entirely. That's not an that, animal. Exactly. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you get away with a yeast as an animal. Yeah, that's what I feel like. <laughs> no, um, give me, give me an uh, animal. Chicken. <laughs> nope. Okay. Can anyone come in and, and stomp Amanda, or will you all get it wrong? Sari, what do you have? Uh, a mouse. A mouse is probably on this list. I hope so. It I don't know. It is on this list. <laughs> it is. It is. It's like lab animals. I only know a few. Yeah. Okay. Sam? Uh, fruit fly. Fruit fly is correct. Of Classic course, fruit science fly was animal. an early one. Yeah. Amanda, do you want to... You can You can re-enter with the correct answer now. I'm making up the rules as I go along. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm going to go C. elegans. C. elegans was the first one. Wow. I am so good at this. Wow. <laughs> She's back, everybody. Sari. A zebrafish? That's a great guess. Very common organism, but not in the first six. Mm. Sam? Gulp. I don't know any more animals. A, uh, what's an, a rat. <laughs> that's great. But no, that's uh. incorrect. And somehow, because I've changed the, an the, the, the game up, Amanda ended up winning that. <laughs> That one, <laughs> the fact that you got the first one wrong. <laughs> and we both got the same amount of them right. Fantastic. Uh, so the ones that you missed were human, oh. mosquito, and for some reason, the Japanese pufferfish was the sixth one. Cool. Uh, not what I had expected at all. All right. Now we're going to start with Sari and then Sam and then Amanda with our second round on ancient DNA. The study of ancient DNA has allowed researchers to learn more about extinct animals, whether that's their physiology or their phylogenetic relationships or just something else. These studies have benefited from the massive improvements in sequencing technology that allow us to know what are in those ancient pieces of DNA, but it's also been important to be able to find new sources of ancient DNA. Now, one of the most common sources in the beginning were skeletal remains. You find the skeleton of an organism, and then you're like, let's scrape some DNA off and see if, if we can find some genome stuff. But we've put their creativity to the test, and scientists have found four more sources of ancient DNA that are not skeletal. Sari, can you go first? Tell me a source of ancient DNA. Pine tar resin. Pine tar resin. Sounds like you know what you're talking about, but it's not on my yeah. list. <laughs> there was someone who chewed at his gum, and then they found DNA in it. That's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I'm think. I guess we're thinking more ancient than that, and not oh, just. Oh, okay. Chemo. That's that is true. Yeah, that that was that gum. R.I.P. It was that gum. Maybe I should let you have it because that's right. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's up technically. It. <laughs> I'm going to let you have it. It's right. Okay, Thank Sam. You. I didn't entirely understand the question. Poop? Is poop Poop is correct. Yes. <laughs> that was going to be my answer. Oh. The answer is always poop. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty safe one. Poop and fruit flies. Amanda, I can give you a hint. What else comes out the butt? <laughs> I'm not entirely what else sure. does come out the butt? Like, well, I guess I'm not talking to... <laughs> I'm talking about uh, reptiles. I'm talking about reptiles and birds and stuff. Because uh, they only have that eggs? one. Eggs? Eggs! Do eggs come out of reptiles' butt? They come out the cloaca. Yeah, they have an all-purpose hole. I'm shook right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So is this like any ancient DNA, not just human DNA? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, human eggs? <laughs> That's where we got ancient That came DNA? out the butt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What else is there? What else do we it's got? Like? It's gotten hard. There, there are not many left and they are both weird. Vomit? That's great. That's great. That's a, that's a winner, but that is not, no one has, has, as far as my sources can confirm, no one has pulled pulled DNA out of vomit yet Sam is it what like boogers I don't know (laughs) boogers is a great guess but also incorrect Amanda I think Amanda you were the last one to get a correct answer so it's coming back around to you again and so it doesn't even matter if you get it right you're winning anyway it's a lot of pressure I know what LeBron feels like now (laughs) I am going to go with fur oh that was amazing yes that is correct the only one y'all missed was soil, because they can just, oh. in areas where they think uh. a lot of things were living, they can just, like, pull some soil out and, like, do do DNA tests on the dirt, which is Damn. wild and very exciting. But, yes, correct. Hair was one of them. It's a great source of DNA because it's relatively easy to get rid of microbial contamination, and DNA has been extracted from hair that's over 4,000 years old. So that's a winner. All right, we have our final our final round here. This is probably the hardest one, unless you remember more about uh, Gregor Mendel than I did. Uh, in 1865, Gregor Mendel published the results of his experiments in plant hybridization. He documented the passing of traits between generations of pea plants. And while his results were published quietly and with little fanfare, the conclusions that he drew about inheritance would end up being foundational for the field of genetics. In his paper, Experiments on Plant Hybridization, Mendel documented the passage of seven traits in his pea plants, which related to the seed, the pod, the flowers, and the stem. Can you tell me one of the seven traits? And I believe now we're starting with Sam. Was it like flower color, one of them? There's yellow ones and white ones. Flower color is not one of them. What the hell? Oh, weird. It's your word choice. I think seed color is a thing. Yes. Color of the yes. outside of the seed. White versus gray. Oh, wait. No, Sam was also right. Yeah, okay. Color of flower okay. is also in there. It was just poorly structured in the <laughs> list. <laughs> Congrats, Sam. <laughs> Thank you. You're still in it, Sam. This is me pulling on the archives. It, it's whether the seed or the pea is smooth or wrinkly, one of them. Oh, yes. Shape of the ripe seed round versus angular versus wrinkled. Yeah. Trying to picture that little chart in the science book. Was it like number of seeds per pod? No, Sam, I'm afraid that you are out. You are out again. Plant height. Yes, the length of the stem. There was the short ones that were up to 1.5 feet and the long ones that were up to seven feet. Don't remember the correct terms, but like flower placement... 
whether they like grow out the sides or grow out the top. Jeez, it is a it is a battle of the science experts. <laughs> Position of the flowers is another of the traits. <laughs> I too am trying to think of the little the little biology uh, 101. Uh-huh. Short, short, tall, yellow, white, you Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drawing my Punnett squares. I am very scared right now. And if I say it wrong, I'm out, no? That's correct. But you've yeah. won the other two. One, so. two, though. So, yeah. I know, but I want to be three for three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with number of petals. Number of petals is a good answer, but a wrong answer. Rip. <laughs> Sari, you, you pulled you pulled one out at the end there. Do you have any more that you can remember? Or you got you got more Mendel in your brain? So my next guess, if Amanda got it right, was gonna be pod shape. Yes, pod shape is one of them, as wow. is the mm. color of the unripe pods. I and did not know that one. Other one that you missed was the color of the inside of the seed. Fantastic work, everybody. That was a lot of fun. And including Sam, you also did well. I tried my best. And now it's time to take a short break and then it will be time for Truth or Fail. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Special Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that. To help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) 
if you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. And now it is time for I've prepared three science facts about DNA, but only one of those facts is real. The other ones are big old stinking lies. You guys have to figure out either by deduction or a wild guess, which is the true fact. If you do, you get a Hank buck. If you get it wrong, then you don't. So DNA, we all know it encodes biological information and it does so using chemistry. A base pair of DNA is made up of a phosphate, a sugar, and one of four nitrogenous bases that defines its sequence. And all that means that in addition to being an incredibly powerful biological molecule that can store a tremendous amount of information, DNA has chemical properties that make it potentially useful to make other materials for humans. The following are three applications for using DNA as a building material, but two of them are fake. Which one is the real one? Number one, because of the way that DNA cross links, it forms a natural hydrogel that can serve as a scaffold to hold enzymes. So scientists used DNA to create a flexible contact lens with self-cleaning enzymes packaged inside. Fact number two, the chemistry of DNA makes the molecule swell up when heated, making it a useful protector against fire when applied to another surface. So researchers have treated cotton with DNA to turn it into a flame retardant fabric. Or fact number three, DNA is a transparent dielectric, meaning it can be used as a screen without worrying that it will conduct electricity, and it's been used in thin films to increase the luminance of organic light-emitting diodes, including in the construction of televisions. Which one of them is it? You got fact number one, a contact lens with self-cleaning enzymes packaged inside, flame-resistant cotton, or it's used in the construction of televisions. Any any thoughts? Let, ask me questions. Quiz me. Amanda, you didn't do one of these, right? You haven't worked on any of I, these projects? No. Okay. But one like one of them sounds familiar, but I just hadn't heard it applied in that way. Mm. So I'm that makes me tense. Yeah, well, know? the thing about truth or fail is they are often based on true facts. So it's it's almost hurts when you know more. Why don't why don't we let the the others? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, you we don't can. you don't want to to lead off with I'm pretty sure me expert in the topic. It's this one. Yeah. Because then you get a bunch of tagalongs. I have a question for any of these. Do you know where they isolated the DNA from, or did they just like create random strands and then we're like let's apply them? Because it seems like you get it from an organism, or like Amanda was describing with the origami, you can like create a sequence intentionally. Mm-hmm. So I, my guess is, and I don't know the answer to this question, it's pretty easy to isolate DNA from a bunch of cells. And we have plenty of cells to work with. There's lots of meat in the world that is not hard to get. So my guess is that we isolated the DNA from probably just a bunch of chicken breasts. Is DNA 
delicate? Um, like surprisingly, like I always sort of pictured it as such, but surprisingly mm-hmm. not. Like you can kind of, it's like a slimy, you can pick it up. It's a polymer. It's not like as strong as like nylon or something, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it can sort of hold its own weight at least. Okay. So I'm going to be blown apart by whatever blasts out of a TV. How do TVs work? Does that work? <laughs> <laughs> Lasers what you, into yeah, eyes. <laughs> Sam's just picturing like TV is just like Jerry Seinfeld being shot out of a wire at you. <laughs> Well, maybe like in the 50s, that's what it was. Yeah. No, a lot. It's actually a, a, a lot of very tiny Jerry Seinfelds. Climbing right <gasps> in my brain and making me laugh. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it would be good for a long lasting consumer product like a TV, but. That's a good point. I know that you nothing. maybe don't want to hit DNA with a bunch of photons because we because we do know that being hit by photons does hurt DNA. That is well-known. Are you leading them to an answer? No, I'm just saying. I like to I like to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. And trick us. And at too. this point, I've forgotten which one is the true fact. So. <laughs> the flame retardant fabric one sounds like something I've heard before in a different context. So I think I'm going to go with contact lenses. Okay. Weird DNA-based contact lenses. I'm going to go with the fabric just because it sounds the most feasible. I don't know. Like a, if I was going to coat something... I'd try fabric before sticking something in my eye or putting on a TV. So that's my guess. I am going contact lenses. Okay. Hmm. Contact lenses. Very confident. Yeah. Very, very confident. (laughs) Despite its incorrectness. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So the true fact was Sari Riley with the flame retardant (laughs) cotton. So DNA is intumescent. Which is a great word, which means that it swells up when it's heated. And these intumescent properties are a result of its combined phosphate, nitrogen, and sugar, which, when burned, create a buildup of carbon foam that resists burning. The researchers coated cotton with DNA obtained from herring sperm. So it wasn't chicken breasts, it was herring sperm. (laughs) And then burned the DNA-coated fabric with methane flame only to find that the fire did not catch. But uh, as for the the contact lens, that was inspired by a real thing, a biobattery that uses DNA hydrogels, which are a real thing, to hold enzymes that catalyze reactions in the battery to make fuel. So you probably had heard about DNA hydrogels and you were like, mm, that sounds right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. And uh, DNA has been used to increase the luminance of organic light-emitting diodes. So that is a real thing, but there has been no TV that has used it, probably because it breaks down too fast. Mm -hmm. Though I don't know. You may be able to make a DNA polymer that is a little more long-lasting. Yeah, maybe you just invented the idea. I feel like it's probably the the direction they were going down when they started doing the research. It's amazing the amount of research that goes into, like, making better TVs. And I'm like, could we, like, focus on, I don't know, anything else? Capitalism. Yeah, we got, gotta have a better phone, Hank. I'm like, you know what I want is one where I can pick out this old battery and put in a new one. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, that technology doesn't exist. It's not possible. <laughs> that leads us to the to, to the final scores, and Amanda and Sari have come out in a tie game. Congratulations oh. to the both of you. You are winners today. And you know what? Really, that means the most important thing is that Sam lost. Oh. <laughs> Why? Oh. What did I ever do? It's ever since you brought up, like, I don't feel like I made fun of you until you brought it up. 
And now I feel like I can't stop. Like it's part of the shtick no. of the show. You always were. You just didn't notice it. Okay. Well, at least now I know. So congratulations to the two of you. And now it is time to ask the science couch where we've got a question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This week is well populated. It is from at Airby Dragons who asks, why does your foot know it's a foot if all the cells contain the same DNA? Whoa. I'm so glad that I can just now say Hox genes and then be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason your foot knows it's a foot and how it maintains being a foot throughout your life is what Hank alluded to in the beginning, which is epigenetics, which didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, we didn't know the answer to that question. We still don't entirely know the answer to this question, just for clarity. Yes, but basically... Every cell has all the same DNA, but what happens is through the process of the cells deciding, okay, I'm going to be a foot, all these other genes turn on and some genes turn off and like they use histones and whatever, but basically some sections of the genome get tied up so that the proteins in that genome don't make themselves so that Mm. you don't get like things that see color in your foot. They're like, no, we don't need that here. Mm. So they get tied up and basically (laughs) put in storage. And then that's why your foot knows it's a foot and your skin knows it's skin and your muscles know it's muscle is that different parts of the genome get turned on and off through the process of differentiation. And that's that's so you so you're saying like it's literally the histone is like this just like imagine a ball and the Mm -hmm. ball like binds up a bunch of DNA. Because everything's balls. If you listen to our patron-only podcast, you'll know about how it's all just balls. Yeah. And and it literally prevents those genes from being encoded by, like, bunching them up to, to a place where, like, ribosomes can't reach them. So it's like a physical process of turning them off yes. by making them inaccessible what to the, the protein coding machinery of the cell. Yeah. Awesome. And there are other things, too. Like, if you've heard the term DNA methylation, that's like adding methyl groups to make the DNA more, like, chunky, also to physically block binding. Mm. But there are also a bunch of small proteins and mRNA strands, I think, called transcription factors that can bind to DNA. And those are a little bit more svelte. They can still block, but they can also activate DNA. And, right. and so, like, in addition to blocking certain areas, if you have an eye cell for example, then there might be a transcription factor that bonds to a part of DNA that codes for rod and cone cells. And it's like, make more of these. We need these. Uh, right. And like flagging make that lots down. lots of this. To specialize. Yeah. I mean, oh, do you ever feel like you're just a big pile of cells? Oh, every day. Yes. Oh, God, <laughs> it's very, very weird. The two of you, yes. Everyone else listening <laughs> is like, no. <laughs> I don't. You know what's really amazing is that all of our cells work together. Like there's a there's like trillions of them and they're like, you know what we should do? We should like be very we should very carefully work together to have this like whole system function. And then sometimes one of your ear cells decides, you know what? What if I grew a really long hair? And then you have to be that person now that shaves his ears all the time cuz you turned 40. You just have a bunch of ear hairs. If you want to ask the science couch your question about your ear hairs, you can follow us on Twitter at Twitter at, on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Sneffen, at Salacious Scribe, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you want more Amanda Wacker, and after being delighted so tremendously in this episode, why wouldn't you? You can check out the podcast Triplicates wherever you get your podcasts. Amanda, what is Triplicates? Triplicates started as 
me and two of my friends starting a PhD program and not knowing what we were doing. <laughs> and we were like, whoa, probably a lot of people don't know what we're doing. Let's kind of make like Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide, but like for <laughs> grad school programs. And like, that's the whole thing. We come, we talk, we're like, this is what's going on. Sometimes we don't know what's going on. So we bring on guests who do know what's going on. And then they ex- explain to us, this is how you do things. And then we share that information with everybody else so they can know what's going on too. And you can find us, as Hank said, on most streaming platforms. You can also find us on social media platforms at Triplicates Pod if you want to follow us there. And then if you want to follow me, I'm mostly active on Twitter at AstroAma, A-M-A. Nice. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. If you like what we do here and you want to help us out at SciShow Tangents, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash scishowtangents, where you can become a patron. But if you can't support us on Patreon, you can also leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show and also helps other people know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Sam Schultz. I've been Amanda Wacker. (laughs) (laughs) I always forget to tell people about that part. Yeah. (laughs) Great job. (laughs) SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunabedish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. Since 2011, American company Biopet has offered a service called Poo Prince to help put an end to the worst possible crime. (laughs) Pet owners not cleaning up dog poop. Using a kit with specialized swab and preservatives. Apartment complex managers can take samples from dubious dog dew and mail it to the company. The company analyzes the DNA and compares it to a database containing records of every registered pet to identify the culprit and allow managers to confront the pinpointed pooper. What? (laughs) What? Dog poop surveillance. Oh, my God. (laughs) I like the idea that you don't have the individual DNA of the pet. But instead, you just know what kind, like they tell you, it's like, this is a Pomeranian. And then you're like, got to like surveil all the Pomeranians in the apartment building extra closely. (laughs) We've got it narrowed down to either Shishi or Button. It's one of the two.